Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John, that you may believe, don't miss Jesus. The original date of this message was the 29th of January, 2023. Praise the Lord for the opportunity we have to gather together this morning for no other purpose but to praise the Lord. Hey, I didn't do this in first service, but I'm going to do this in second service here. Let's begin instead of in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. I think at times we can go to passages like we're going to this morning in John chapter 5. And I can encourage, I can challenge, I can admonish us all not to miss Jesus. But we have to remember that those that Jesus is talking to in John chapter 5, I'm sure they didn't think they were missing anything. And here I'm sure that as these folks will one day stand before the Lord, they were they're going to think that they didn't miss anything and they're going to be incredibly disappointed and shocked. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone, verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want us all to come to God's word this morning with an open heart, open mind, but an engaged mind and an engaged heart. I want you to set your mind aside. We don't do that as we come to God's word. I want us all to pour into this, and I want the Lord to meet us this morning as we see this depiction of those who missed Jesus when he was right there in front of them. And may none of us this morning miss Jesus. John chapter 5, verses 31 to 47. Jesus continues speaking to what would seem like the Jewish leaders, but there could have been a a myriad of, of Jews there listening, all needing to hear exactly what Jesus says, just as you need to hear exactly this morning what Jesus says. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me. 
that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let me open our time now in just giving this whole sermon everything to the Lord. Heavenly Father, that is a scary thought that when all is said and done, that we could stand before you and we could say, but what about all the things that we did for you? And you would say, depart from me, for I knew you not. There's equally a scary thought for these Jews that stood before Jesus who knew your word, no doubt better than, than any of us in this room, some of them being scribes and Pharisees that devoted their life to your word. And yet they missed you. Lord, may we not miss you. Make your word clear to us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would be honored, that your church, that all of us here would be edified. And may your word go forth in the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the life-giving message of the gospel. We thank you for your all-sufficient, inerrant word that, that we stand on this morning that we come to, that we open up this morning knowing that these are your words. So guide our time now as only you can, by your spirit, by your power, that we might honor you in all that we do, that we might leave here this morning with a better grasp of who you are, who we are, and who the people are around us that you desire for us to share your good news with. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So last week, we saw clearly that Jesus is God. We saw Jesus present himself as God. And he did this by letting us know that he and God are one in the same. One in very nature. One in actions. One in their power to give life, as well as to judge and execute judgment. All of that was pointing to Jesus saying, this is who I am, I am God. This week we're going to see some reasons why you and I should believe 
that Jesus is God. And as he starts things off in verse 31, he says something that really shouldn't make too much sense to us because if he is God, then you would think that every testimony that he said is indeed true. And everything that he did say was true. But he's going back in, in, in Jewish history. He's taking them back to Deuteronomy. He's letting them know, you guys get this. In the court of law, whenever something happens and, and, and it needs to be proven that what this person says is true or what this person says is false, you must have witnesses. So now in order to validate in order to prove to you that what I just said is indeed true, I'm not going to rely upon my own testimony. Even though I am God and that is enough and that should be enough for you, instead I'm going to extend even more grace to you all. As you're listening to me, and, and remember, these guys, because of what Jesus just did, healing on the Sabbath, they want to now kill Jesus. They're, they're out for blood. He's a marked man. And this is how Jesus responds, grace upon grace upon grace, because that is our Savior. He is a loving and gracious Savior, seeking out those whom desperately need him. And so he, he's going to point us to, and, and even in, in my Bible, you might have these, these same summaries, the witness of John, the witness of works, the witness of the Father, the witness of Scripture. These clearly are depicting testimonies that the Lord Jesus Christ points to and says, hey, look, this proves who I am. But this morning, I, I kind of want to turn this on end for two reasons. I don't want us to look so much at the testimony as those who are receiving this testimony and, and what is revealed to us about why they miss Jesus. So that as you go out and you share Jesus with others, you're not totally surprised because you recognize, man, they were just like you before the Lord opened up your eyes. And that even now as you desire to follow Jesus and all that you do, you're going to relate with some of what these were doing in order to miss Jesus, that you might be missing Jesus in some aspects of your life. What is also telling about this is no doubt this group included those that were scribes, those that were the Pharisees, but, but those in particular whose, whose task was to take down God's word and to copy it. And I don't think any of us understand what that would be like because it was meticulous and it was drawn out and it was anything but easy. And it would have driven someone like me crazy to think that, man, I already know this word. But I can only write down one letter at a time. Then I have to put my, my, my writing instrument down. And then I have to wait. And we all pick up our writing instrument together. And then we do one more letter. And like that, they did every letter. And, and because of that, we have a word of God that is so incredibly trustworthy. It's what has kept the word of God from becoming defiled and adulterated and, and added into and all this other stuff. But what is also telling are, are, are folks like that, men like that, that could devote their lives to the very Word of God and putting it down on paper, letter by letter to word by word to sentence by sentence to paragraph by paragraph to page by page to chapter by chapter to book to book, that they could miss Jesus Christ. That, that as they would do that, that they would somehow 
not see the forest for the trees and be all about the things that they shouldn't be all about and remain there. And it's the same today. As I went through seminary, we, we were called upon time and time again to, to look at some other liberals and see what they had to say about God's Word. And these are men that are, that are educated, that, that are beyond smart, that are beyond the, the scholarly of, of you and I, okay? These guys know the Greek and the Hebrew better than any of us. And they've dedicated their lives to the Greek and the Hebrew. And lots of times, they actually write their doctoral thesis on the Bible. And some of them will write commentaries. They're not even saved. They, they just look at God's Word more from a grammatical, literal, liter, like literary work and pull it all apart. And they understand that the interwinings of the language, but they missed the whole meaning behind the Bible and what the intended purpose for the Bible was all about. That should cause us all to just stop and to consider what our hearts are like as we come to God's Word, not, not just on Sunday morning. But you were all given this little pink sheet this morning. And I, I think there's quite a lot of us that are going through that, where we're switching from this gospel to that gospel, and, 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 we're, and we're seeing how this gospel fits in with this gospel, and we're seeing Jesus do these miraculous things. And then we come in on, on, on Sundays, and we, and we listen more to what Jesus is doing, and praise the Lord. But I wonder if in, in that and all that we do that, that, that you can miss Jesus as well. That, that you can't see the forest and the trees because you're just looking at it as duty. Rather than coming to it and, and, and seeing it for what it is, that, that this is really a, a letter from a personal God who desired above all things to reveal to you and I man's sinful condition and God's answer. As well as all sorts of truth. But remembering that this is what the Word of God is. This is God wanting to reveal Himself to you personally. And so as we come this morning, I want us to approach Scripture and kind of flip it on end and see that, that we must have the right focus. We must have the right heart. We must have the right approach. We must have the right motive. We must have the right belief. All of those things that were flipped on these guys. See, they had a wrong, and this is my outline for this morning, they had a wrong focus. They had a wrong heart. They had a wrong approach. They had a wrong motive. They had a wrong belief, but recognize they didn't think any of these things were wrong. That's what happens when our pride takes over and our hearts become more and more calloused. And I pray that as we dig into God's Word this morning that the Lord will reveal to us. Man, I can't speak into each one of your hearts and lives and knowing exactly what things, but you know what is so amazing? The Holy Spirit certainly can. And he wants to use his word this morning to do just that. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like Spurgeon. And you don't have to defend the word of God. You open it, and it's like a mighty lion, and it just goes. And so that's what we're going to do this morning.
We're going to see five ways that they missed Jesus, that you might miss Jesus, and that you need to understand when you share the gospel with someone that that might be how they're going to miss Jesus too. And first, they have what? They have a wrong focus. So notice where Jesus goes first. After he says, hey, I'm not going to give you my testimony, I'm going to give you others' testimony. And the first man I'm going to go to is this man, John the Baptist. Why? Because they all know John the Baptist. We've already read about John the Baptist. We know that the Pharisees were, were kind of wondering, well, man, it seems like Jesus and, and John are now kind of going at each other and, and they're kind of competing. And, and this now the Pharisees learned. And then what does Jesus do? He leaves. So he brings up the, the testimony of John the Baptist. And this is incredibly important. Why? Because John the Baptist is the first prophet for some 400 years. It's been black. It's been dark. It's been silent. They haven't had any prophets. And so now the one who comes is the one who is pointing them to the coming Redeemer. And they're all waiting for this. And they're all waiting for the Redeemer. They're waiting for the Messiah. It's not like any of this is new to them. No, they get this. But their focus is entirely off. Why? Because their focus is all on themselves. And we're going to see this more and more clear as we walk through this passage. It's all self. It's all about their self-righteousness. If I can just look a little bit better, if I can just be a little bit better, if I can just live up to the law even better than I did last year by my own self-effort, then that will please God. And instead, they're totally, undeniably lost. And so what do we see? We see Jesus saying that everything that John the Baptist said was right. That it is true. That everything that he said about me is, is true. And think about what that, what that means. Remember John chapter 1. As they come to John, what are they thinking? They're thinking he's the Messiah. Because they're waiting for the Messiah. And so they come and they ask, well, are you the Christ? And of course he says, no. And then they say, well, then are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. And then he answers and says this in chapter 1, verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one who, whom you do not know. I wonder if there's a little progression with the ministry of John the Baptist where he starts off and he's speaking really generally about the coming Messiah. He's not giving him a name. He's not putting him in the present tense. He's coming, he's coming. He's, coming. he's still a long ways off. And so what, what do these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these ultra-religious religious people do? They, they eat it up and they go, oh yeah, you know why? Because he's causing them to repent. He's letting them all know they don't measure up. And the more they come to understand that, the more they'll lift us up. Because we look like we do measure up. And so perhaps that's the reason why they follow John at the beginning. Even though he says, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then we see later in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
rounds it all off in verse 34 by saying, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now we say, no, it's not in the future. It's right here, right now. In fact, I've seen him. And Jesus says he was the lamp. He wasn't the light. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the light. He's the only light. He emanates God. Why? Because he is God. And in that light is glory. And the glory can be seen in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that. Even though it's veiled, it's still seen. Small little pictures. But then Jesus says this, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. In the testimony of John, man, you followed him for a while. And then you stopped. Why? Because your self-righteousness and you wanting to make a big deal about yourselves and him making a big deal about Jesus, you couldn't have the both of them together. It either had to be the Messiah or it had to be you. And since you guys really believe that you guys are more like the, the, the Messiah, you have the wrong focus, well, then you can't have Jesus. And then we see it getting crazier and crazier as he says that he actually baptized the Messiah. And then we see that he comes in contact with Herod and says that Herod is doing wrong things too. And so they have to disassociate themselves, get themselves further and further away from John the Baptist. Let this be a warning to us all. as these were temporarily drawn to John the Baptist for all the wrong reasons. Don't be drawn to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Be drawn to Jesus for who Jesus says he is. That's the context. He is God. And, and so if we come to Jesus, we come to him with that understanding. He is God. Whatever he says goes. I am his servant I'm the one rejoicing that he was so gracious and loving to me that he would die for me. And as a result, I'm going to live my life for him and him alone. What should have happened is John the Baptist made it more and more clear who Jesus Christ was. They should have died to their pride. They should have recognized, oh yeah, you know what, you're right. I know my own heart. I know I'm not as righteous as everybody else thinks I am. I know it's a huge facade. I, I know I'm a fake. And then they should have accepted this wonderful gift that was right there before them. But instead of listening to John, what did they do? Their hardened hearts became even harder, as we're going to see. Their problem was their focus was off. They wanted the Messiah to come and to be exactly how they wanted him to be. And if he didn't show up like that, then they were going to push him aside. But notice the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of this. Look at verse 34. Back in John chapter 5, verse 34. This, this is amazing. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. Hey, listen, I don't get my testimony from any of you guys. I'm not looking to you. You know what I do? I do whatever the Father tells me to do. But I say these things so that you may be saved. Even what I'm telling you right now about John the Baptist, listen, I know that you've seen him, that you've listened to him. You haven't been listening to me. 
You don't get it from me. I, I, okay, hear it from him. Hear it from him and believe in me. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. He's extending his gospel, his grace to, towards those that are wanting to kill him. Right there and then. Is there any sweeter picture of the love of our God than this? Up to this point, what a sweet picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is willing that none should perish. That, that is his heart. Does that mean that all of these will be saved? No, actually from what we see, it doesn't look like any of them turn to the Lord. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't then extend his grace to them. Why? Because he desires that they would be saved. But if they're not saved, why? Because of their own rebellious, sinful hearts. And they are choosing to what? To be more about themselves than about what Jesus Christ is saying. So first, we see this, that they have a wrong focus. Their focus is on self. Their focus is on themselves. Second, what we see is he goes deeper. And what we see is they also have a wrong heart. Look at verses 36 to 38. As Jesus next goes into, okay, the, the, the testimony of John the Baptist is great, but it doesn't even hold a candle to two other testimonies here. One, the works that I do, because they're the works of the Father. They're in the power of the Father. And the very testimony of the Father. But he uses both of those to say, but you know why none of those testimonies amount to anything for you guys? Because of the hardness of your hearts. You've been pouring into the Word all of these years, studying it out, copying it, no doubt Pharisees teaching it. And yet look at what he says in, in verse 38. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. What does that word abiding mean? It means to dwell, to live in, to reside in. It means that they're just skimming the surface over the Word of God over and over and over and over again. Without allowing this Word of God to come and to dwell inside their hearts. And as a result, even the works that the Lord Jesus Christ is doing right in front of them isn't having the proper effect that you would think it would have. Instead, they ascribe it to Satan, which is totally off. Or they major on the minors, and they make a big deal about him doing it on the Sabbath, and as a result, they want to kill him. This isn't always the way that people respond to the works of Jesus Christ. We've already seen some get saved. With his miracle in Cana, turning water into wine. With the royal official son, he and his whole family get saved as a result of what Jesus does. We're going to see in John chapter 7, verse 31, many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than these, which this man has. Will he? Are you kidding me? Compared to anybody else and anybody that we've read in Scripture, nobody does what this man, Jesus Christ, has done. Just as far as his miracles go. 
aside from the words that he preached. And we know that when he preached, what did they say? Oh, man, this, spe- this man speaks with an authority unlike anybody we've heard before. His words have power and authority unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. He talks like he knows what he's talking about. Why? Because it is his word. So he knows it all. Didn't we see earlier with Nicodemus, as Nicodemus comes to Jesus, what does he say? He, he says, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. Why? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But think about the irony in, in what is being communicated. Jesus is doing all of these miracles, some signs. He's even going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's doing this right in front of this group, right in front of this group of Jews And then he says, but you know what? You haven't seen God. You've never heard from God. That that doesn't make any sense. Why is it like this? Because their hearts are hardened. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Wait, I, I thought when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist that, that the heavens opened up and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and rested upon him. Wait, I, I thought the Father at, literally spoke. Hadn't they heard about this? Yeah, but their hearts were so hard that they weren't seeing anything and they weren't hearing anything. May that not, that not that be the case for any of us. That whatever the Lord has for us, that our ears are open, that our hearts are open to receive that which the Lord is teaching us. The transfiguration as well. Perhaps they'd heard about that. And yet what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter to you guys. Why? Because you're hard Your heart is so hardened that you're not listening. They had this stubborn and callous hearts hearing only what they wanted to hear and seeing only what they wanted to see. Their hearts were wrong. They only wanted what they wanted, which was a God made up in their own imaginations. And we see because of this, they didn't have the word of God abiding in their hearts. It means, again, to remain or dwell. Remember, if you miss Jesus, you miss it all. May the Lord keep us all from missing Jesus. Answer this question. You don't have to answer it out loud. Does the Word of God abide in you? Does it remain? Does it dwell in you? I'm not asking you if you're reading the Word. I'm not asking you if you're memorizing the Word. I'm asking you if the Word of God abides in you if it dwells in you, if it remains in you, if it it rolls off your tongue as you're talking with someone, or by the time you get to lunch after this sermon, have you forgotten everything? I recognize some of that could be me. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you because I'm the one pouring into this all week long. And do you know what I find at times in my own heart, in my own life? I push this out, and and I'd rather occupy my mind with other things that I shouldn't be occupying my mind with. And I've been asking myself the same question, 
Lord, is it dwelling in me? Are you renewing my mind with this? Or am I more like these guys than I'd care to admit? So they had a wrong focus. They had a wrong heart. Third, they had this, a wrong approach. This is scary as well because they knew the Word of God and yet they, they went to the Word of God with the wrong approach. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. See, they were coming to the Word. This is what's so scary. They were all about the Word. They'd, they'd put us all to shame with how much time they spent in the Word and how they came to the Word, but they came to the Word with the wrong approach. They thought the Word was going to answer this question, what must I do to be saved? And they thought the answer was everything that you see revealed in God's law, you must keep all the commandments. And the more that you do and the better you get at that, then you will be my sons and daughters. That's what they preached. That's what they lived. That's how they came to God's Word. They thought it was all about the words in God's Word instead of the Word of God. They missed the Messiah. They missed Him bad. Even though they searched the Scriptures, even though they spent all this time in God's Word, they, they missed Jesus what, it, what were they doing? They kept clinging as their hearts were cold and calloused and prideful. They kept clinging to this false, superficial self-righteousness by their own works. And what were they unwilling to do? They were unwilling to let go of that. Is there anything that you're unwilling to let go of this morning? when it comes to your understanding of God's Word, when it comes to you living your life for Him. And then when they see the very God of creation right before them, the Messiah they've been waiting for, they miss Him. Not only do they miss Him, but they miss Him so bad, they believe He's an imposter, and so they make plans to kill Him. May we not fall into that same trap where we come to God's Word instead of digging into it and understanding exactly what the Lord is communicating to us. We come with this preconceived notion of, oh, I know what this says. And I don't care if that's consistent with everything else that Scripture says. I'm just going to interpret it right here like this right now. And then you build your, your own little life based on that. That's what they did. Oh, that's why God gave us the law. And we're going to see that's not why God gave them the law. It wasn't so that they could be saved through the law. It's actually the complete opposite. So they would recognize how lost they were because of the law. We need the Bible in us, not just around us. Let me say that again. We need the Bible in us, not just around us. That means, yes, we have to spend time in the Word of God, and I'm, and I'm all for a grammatical, literal interpretation of God's Word, historical, all of that. That's what I do as I pour into the Word of God, but I'm doing that all with the intention of, of finding out, okay, what is the main point here? What is the bottom line? What, what are you communicating here in this text? Rather than coming away with my own understanding, 
of what God's Word says. So they're following the wrong approach, just as they have a wrong focus, just as they have a wrong heart. This next one is equally scary for us. This one is a wrong motive. Their motivation is all off. And I'm sure that they didn't think that their motives were off. But we see a reveal right from the beginning, as Jesus says in verse, and this is verses 41 to 44, he says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. He's going to give them a scathing rebuke. It's not just that you, that you don't let God's word abide in you. The very fiber of who you are is nothing like God. God is love and you are nothing like him. Do you think they understood that God was love? You bet. Do you think they heard what Jesus is saying? I'd say not. Why? Because their hearts were so hardened. And yet we know and we see it even reflected in the way that Jesus is reaching out to them over and over again just how loving our God is. But instead, what we see with them is their motivation is what? What were they all about? They're all about their own glory. In fact, they're all about anybody else's glory except for the rightful one who should receive all glory, and that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're even into giving those glory that are would-be messiahs. It's known that around 60, 70, 80 false messiahs came on the scene in the first century. Guys that would say, oh, I'm the Messiah. And do you know what these Jews would do? They'd believe them until they disproved and they showed that they were immoral or they showed that they got killed or they showed that they got put in prison. And then they'd go on to the next one. And think of the irony of it all. And then the very Messiah... God comes to them, and they miss him. Why? Because part of their going astray was the motivation for their own glory. I think even when they were pointing at others, they're really pointing at themselves. That's why Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. You see, Jesus could see right into their hearts. And he can see right into your heart, right into my heart, which is such a scary thought. Because he knows as I stand up here what I'm truly thinking and why I am doing this. And if it isn't for his glory, then it's going to burn. And if what you do isn't for his glory and you don't know him, then you're going to burn. But if you do know him, then, then that which you are doing for your own particular glory, selfish desires, you fill in the blank all the ways that this could come into our lives and our daily reality. It's going to disappear like wood, hay, and stubble. And none of us want to see anything that we do for the Lord disappear. I don't want my time here as the pastor of Rancho Baptist Church to go up and smoke. And I know you don't want your life to go up in smoke. And what we do so often is this, this happens without us even recognizing it. What we start off is wanting to glorify God, it turns into wanting to glorify ourselves. And in the way that we respond to an argument, or in the way that we respond to somebody who disagrees with us, or this or that, it, it all becomes about us instead of about Him. 
and seeking to give him all the glory, all the praise, all of who he is wrapped up in his wonderful glory. Isn't it interesting? We're only on John chapter 5, but we have seen this idea of glory and or I want to present it like this, that Jesus over and over again is pulling people to himself and you know what he's saying? Come and see. We know that that's what the Jews wanted. They wanted signs. They wanted to be able to see. And yet Jesus doesn't deny them of being able to see. He recognizes that there is a part to where they will understand the glory of the Father as Jesus does these miracles, but there's more to it. They also must understand the the sinfulness of their own heart. And so right from the beginning, as some of John the Baptist's disciples leave and follow Jesus, what does he say? Come and see. Come and see. You will understand. Philip talking to Nathaniel, what does he say? Nathaniel's can any no, there's nothing that can come from Nazareth. Are you kidding me? What's the response? Come and see. There was something about Jesus where, where his deity is veiled. Yes, we, we know that from Scripture. And yet he is God. And in an amazing way, even outside of the transfiguration. There's this understanding of spending time with Jesus changes everything. And yet for these, spending time with Jesus didn't change anything. It just made their hearts that much more hardened. Nicodemus, do you, do you remember what Jesus says to him? Unless you're born again, unless you're rebirthed, what? You can't see the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God. The, the Samaritan woman, when when she leaves and leaves Jesus and the disciples, the boys there, she runs back to her town and what does she say? Come and see. Come and see this man who knows everything about me and told me about it. What is also telling is that these had seen many of these things. Remember, Jesus did this in Jerusalem. And most likely that's where they're from. But the word of what he did in Galilee and all these other places like Cana is spreading as well. And yet because of the hardness of their own hearts, what do they not do? They don't repent. They don't change their mind on on what they are doing and recognize their own sinfulness. Glory is huge. And God says, my glory can go to no other but me. The Hebrew word for glory that's also used in, in the Greek has this idea of weight attached to it. You can't separate it. So we need to think of like the, the heaviest, weight, weightest blanket that you could get on you that just throws you down to the ground. That's the weightiness of God. And that's given to no other. It can only be given to God. So it can be given to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus is saying, I don't want that kind of glory because you guys are all in it for yourselves. And even if you pretended like you were giving me glory, it's all about you. Do you find yourself like these Jews at times wanting the glory for yourself? 
When you come into a room, you want everybody to listen to you? When you're in an argument, you want to win it? When you're driving, do you, do you believe that you're the best driver? Ouch. Right? We, we do. We, we, we don't want to share it with anybody. I still want to tell my boys I can surf and snowboard better than them. Why? Because I, I'm all about my own glory. In some cases, what do we need to do? We need to <laughs> repent and say, man, it needs to be you, Lord. I just want to make the most of you in every situation that you put me into. and trust you. So we see they miss Jesus. Why? Because of a wrong focus, because they're all about themselves. They had a wrong heart. They had a wrong approach to Scripture. They had a wrong motive. They're all about their own glory. And then, then this one, and, and this is what ultimately just continued to drive them the opposite direction of Christ. They had a wrong belief. What they were believing in they were believing in a works-based salvation. Does it sound familiar? Almost any religion outside of Christianity believes in a works-based salvation. You get there how? By your own sweat. By your own work. Some believe by coming to church. Yeah, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, just keep doing this and, and you'll make it. And do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, the one accused... The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. They were all about Moses, but you know what? Just like they missed Jesus, they missed Moses. In fact, they missed Jesus because they missed Moses. That's where it all points back to. That's the foundation of who these guys are. You see, they look at Moses and they go, Moses, he's our man. Yes, he's our hero. Are you kidding? We love Moses. I would die right now for Moses. Moses gave us the law. And that's who we are. And Jesus is saying, exactly. That's not who you should be. That's not the intended purpose of the law. The law wasn't given to you so that you could then try to live up to it and earn God's righteousness. There's nothing that you can do to earn righteousness. You're in a miserable state. You were born sinful. You can't get out of that sinful state unless you're born again. It's going back to Nicodemus. And so all you guys are doing really is you're just frustrating the grace of God. And the one who's standing before you is the one who wants to lift this burden off of you. So you can get off of the, of the wheel going round and around and around and around and come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. But recognize, I, I don't even have to be the one that's going to judge you. Moses, you know what he'd do? You know what he'd say right now if he was with us? He would let you know you guys are out of line. You guys are on a wrong trajectory. You don't understand the writings that God gave me to write. They were supposed to be a schoolmaster. They're supposed to be a, a mirror that reveals to you your sinfulness, your inability to become righteous on your own. The law wasn't meant to show them what they had to do, but the complete opposite, what they couldn't do apart from Christ. It was supposed to point them to Jesus, to the coming Redeemer. Instead, they used it and inverted it upside down. It became a tool of Satan. And what did it, what did it do? It actually led them to push away their, their Messiah. 
and think that that was the way that they could gain eternal life. They missed what the law was supposed to really be doing. It was supposed to lead them to Christ, and they missed him. The law was not meant to bring our own self-effort and need so that we would become more self-righteous by striving to live up to it. They missed what they were supposed to be believing in. Are, are you missing what you're supposed to be believing in? Jesus Christ, that's all. It's only Christ. Believing in him and him alone. They were supposed to believe in the only one that could live up to the law. Instead, they used the law for their own foolish pride, thinking that they were gaining something when they were actually losing it all. How foolish, right? But don't we sometimes do the same thing? That we choose only to believe a part of the Word of God instead of all of the Word of God. And we twist it. And we like our sin more than we like actually godliness. We need to ask the Lord to reveal areas in our lives where our belief might be relying on ourselves a whole lot more than it should be. Relying upon Him and His grace. You know what scares me? What breaks my heart? I saw this in New Guinea. Someone who comes to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and professes to believe it, but isn't a possessor of that belief. Hasn't truly believed. How do you know that? I could see it much clearer in in Papua New Guinea because we lived among those people. And I could see the transformed lives like day and night because they lived in darkness. And, And when the Lord saved them, the Lord saved them. They stopped beating their wives. And they stopped doing all sorts of crazy, heinous things. Uh, We here in America, we're we're a little bit more civilized. We kind of hide things. We go back home and we live our own little lives in our own little homes. Not letting too many people into that. And I wonder that there could be someone here this morning who's been coming week after week maybe year after year after year. But as they really look at their life, they don't see any real change. If that is the case, then turn to the Lord this morning. Recognize that you've had a wrong belief. That whatever you've been relying on hasn't been in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you must believe unto him alone for salvation. That's where these guys were so off. I'm not saying that any of us are perfect. But when the Lord saves us, he changes us. And we're not what we were before. We're not what we're going to be. What we are is exactly where God is having us right now by his wonderful grace. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we stop and we thank you. We thank you for your word that is oh so sweet. 
we thank you for these depictions in your word. Lord, we pray that, that they would not be the case for us. Lord, we pray that you would use these characteristics, the way that these, these, these Jews were not receiving you, to allow us to better share your gospel with those who have yet to come to a saving knowledge of you. That we would recognize that they are believing in something, but they're not believing in you. That you have not transformed their heart, but that's what you're planning on doing, Lord. So help us to look at others the way that you looked at these Jews who were ready to kill you, full of grace and truth, Lord. Help us to look at our own lives and to come into your presence and to truly ask you, am I missing something here? Reveal to me, Lord. Perhaps it's in my time of study in your word that I'm just going through the motions that I'm not looking at your word as coming from a personal, loving, intimate God who desires my fellowship, who desires to renew my mind, but instead I'm coming out of duty and trying to get done with it as quickly as I can. Lord, deal with our hearts, the inner workings of the things that motivate us, Lord, and how at times we seek to Desire all the glory for ourselves. Humble us and use us, Lord, for your glory that you might receive the praise and the adoration. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.